Did you know that 43% of our kids ages 13 to 14 don't believe in the existence of God or don't care? Or did you know that 70% believe Satan doesn't even exist? What is going on with our children? Well, George Barna, in his new book, Raising Spiritual Champions, is going to educate us on what is happening to our children and what we can do to help raise our children to be followers of Christ. We all know that parenting is hard work and life can get busy. We've done the research to help you. So let's dig deep with Leanne Mancini and work together to help you raise strong Christian kids. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Barna. Again, uh, if you haven't listened, listeners, to, to the last episode with Dr. Barna, I highly suggest you do. It's vitally important that we start raising our children to have that strong foundation. And it's never too late if you haven't done it. He gives wonderful advice in his book. And so, again, I'm thankful that you're back on the show, Dr. Barna. Well, thanks for having me. I, it's great to be here. Well, this was a shocker again, many shockers. Your book states that children's ministry leaders are the poster children for syncretism, and only 12% of churches have Bible-oriented church ministers. Only 12%. Can you please share some of the shocking statistics regarding church ministry leaders, and how did this happen, and what can be done? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things we could talk about there. Uh, we did seven original research projects to put into this book. And that one where we looked at church leaders was really an eye-opener. What we discovered is that only 37% of all pastors in Christian churches have a biblical worldview, and only 12%, as you alluded to, among children's ministers. When we looked at what they do and don't believe, I mean, we found things among children's pastors, like two out of three of them, 64%, do not believe that such a thing as absolute moral truth exists, which, of course, raises dramatic questions about what they think and believe about the Bible. We found that 53%, a majority of them, believe in reincarnation. 56% of them would say that sexual relations between two unmarried adults, as long as they feel like they love each other, is morally acceptable. Things like 61% of children's pastors say, it really doesn't matter what faith you believe in, as long as you have some kind of faith. And half of them believe that when Jesus was on earth, he sinned. I mean, that's just a sampling of all the stats I've got in the book about children's pastors. Why does it matter? Because you teach what you believe. And so, given that these are the things that our children's pastors believe, if they're going to teach anything, and by the way, in a lot of churches, Christian churches, not much of anything is taught to our kids, which is another issue. But in those churches where teaching takes place or behavioral modeling by those leaders happens, and that always takes place, these are the kinds of things that are being handed over to our children. And this is why it's so important that parents, they're the first most impactful spiritual leaders for their children. And a lot of parents will rely on the church to teach religion, so to speak. So, yeah, it's, this is why we're finding ourselves living in the times we're living in, where there's no Christians in the four pillars of society. So it's really, really sad. I, I love your description of a disciple. Please tell us the meaning of being a disciple and share some strategies parents can use to disciple their children so they become disciples. Yeah, this to me was one of the non-statistical shockers. 
I read dozens and dozens of books before writing this one, because I don't want to repeat what other people have already said. So in reading a lot of books about discipleship and a lot of books about ministry to children, I kept looking for how is it that we as a community of, of followers of Christ are defining a disciple? What I found is that so many books either don't have any definition of it whatsoever, and so they kind of fall into the pattern of what people in our culture have started to believe a disciple is, which are things like, oh, a good person, somebody who attends church, somebody who was raised in a Christian home. And those are some of the most popular definitions of a disciple in our culture, and none of those are accurate. And so I thought, well, gosh, maybe I better go back and see what did Jesus say about it. If anybody knows, he's the one. And I found six different times in the scriptures where Jesus very specifically said, in three cases, you will be my disciple if, and then in three cases, you cannot be my disciple unless. And so in the letter of John, the book of John, three times he talks about you will be my disciple if, in John 8, he says, if you obey my teaching. John 13, he talks about, uh, you know, you will be my disciple if you love other disciples. In John 15, he talks about, you will be my disciple if you produce a lot of spiritual fruit, meaning you make other disciples. And then in Luke, in chapter 14, three times he talks about this, turns it around a little bit, and he says, you cannot be my disciple unless, first of all, you love God the Father so much that it seems like you hate everybody else in comparison. That's how deeply and profoundly you have to love God. Then he says, and you cannot be my disciple unless you carry your cross. In Roman society, what that meant basically was, you follow my authority alone. And then he ended up in that same chapter saying, and you cannot be my disciple unless you surrender everything in your life to be my disciple. So that's what a disciple is. We know that because Jesus said so. And, and so when we're thinking about what am I trying to help my child to do and to be and how to live, how to think, that's what we've got to have in mind, where we're obeying, we're loving, we're, we're, we're surrendering everything to follow God, we're only accepting his authority in our life, and we're committed to being disciple-makers. Some people say to me, well, who's supposed to make these disciples? And the answer very clearly in Scripture is other disciples. Disciples make disciples. And so if you are a disciple of Jesus, your greatest privilege in life is to make other people into disciples and to, uh, to lead them into a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ that transforms their life and enables them to live differently than the world would have them live. Yes, Jesus didn't say, just go and attend church. Make sure you go to church on Sunday. He said, go and make disciples. So I, I love that. You know, also, you state the top six power influencers. I thought this was interesting for children are parents, school, peers, government, arts and entertainment. Collectively, they hold an estimated 70% of influence on the way children understand and respond to the world. And based on those statistics, do you think the lack of true biblical education for children's ministry leaders may be why the church didn't even make the list? As I talk about in the book, part of the problem that our local churches have when it comes to ministry in general is that 
Number one, they don't really value children. Children are seen as bait. And they're bait in order to hook the big fish, which is considered to be adults. Now, why is that bad? Because my research for the last 25 plus years has shown that adults, by and large, don't change. Now, the Holy Spirit can change anybody at any moment radically. Their lives can be transformed so that they're, you know, completely different. But I'm a sociologist looking at research. And on average, I'll tell you that doesn't happen. Once you reach your 20s and beyond, you're not going to change much, if at all. And so for churches to be putting most of their ministry resources into reaching an adults is bad stewardship. It's not going to have much impact. If you want to transform lives and you want to take part in that, where you should put most of your resources, most of your thought, your energy, your teaching, your time, your people, all the resources you've got, put it into ministering to children, because they're the ones whose world is being radically shaped today. Their worldview and everything that emanates from that is determined before the age of 13. And so the more that we can invest in children that way, the better off we are. Part of it, too, isn't only that we don't value children, we don't place many resources into ministering to children. It's also how churches measure success in ministry. We've studied that with the senior pastors of ministry of churches around the country. What we found is there are five primary measures that most churches measure on a regular basis. There are how many people come, how much money we raise, how many programs we offer, how many staff we've hired, and how much square footage we built out. I'm a measurement guy, so I'm glad they're measuring. But as a measurement guy, I know you get what you measure. If you measure the wrong stuff, you're going to get the wrong outcomes. And that's precisely what's happening because Jesus didn't die for any of those five things. And so because we're measuring the wrong stuff, we're getting the wrong outcomes. So we need to go back and start measuring whether or not we're actually discipling people. Are more people becoming dynamic followers of Jesus Christ and looking at how that's working in light of the six factors that Jesus talked about as being the definition of a disciple. I agree. And also I'd like to add that we're not spending enough funds or, you know, we, we spend more money on ministry overseas than we do on the ministry for our children. And for parents, I think parents also need classes. They need Christian parenting classes. A lot of parents who, you know, have not been raised to have a biblical worldview and now want to raise their children, they need classes. So I think it's important not only that we address the children's needs, but also the parents. Could you talk briefly about your MOPS, what you did together with MOPS? What we found is that, of course, biblically, it's not the role of the church to raise the child. The parent's primary responsibility in life is to raise their children to be disciples. But the church's responsibility is to come alongside the parents. What the church will do is to equip parents, to encourage parents, to resource parents, to do all of these things to help the parents get the job done. And then when the child comes to the church, they're not starting from square one at the church. They're reinforcing what's already been done within the home by the parents. And so the kids are going to these two places, their family, which hopefully they trust and and they love being there, And then they go to church, hopefully another place 
where the relationships are being built and trust is being established. Churches aren't doing that. They could be doing that, but they're choosing not to do that. So, you know, it's a choice that churches can make. We found some great children's ministries around the country, not very many, but as we studied them, we found that that was their mentality. Yes, in your collaboration with Mothers of Preschoolers, I think it was like 27% of moms felt that they were ignored by their church. So I'm really hoping that the church steps up and parents step up and we all step up to work together to raise this next generation to have a strong foundation in Christ. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share? You know, just if they get a chance to take a look at the book, one of the things that I did was I studied parents that are effective in raising young disciples. And what I found is there are a series of of habits that those parents create in that process of raising their kids up to follow Jesus. And so understanding what those habits are in terms of the building of a trust-based relationship, how do you do that? In terms of constantly returning to the Bible with their children, not just reading it, but studying it, you know, tearing it apart, understanding how different parts of the Bible relate to each other, and what are the principles that we pull out of these great stories that we learn in the Bible, Uh, you know, looking at the whole concept of Socratic dialogue, where as a parent, your, your best approach isn't to be beating your kid over the head with the Bible, it's not to be yelling at them that you must believe this, but rather to be asking them questions about what the child has decided to believe or thinks they want to believe, asking them why, asking them what that looks like in practice, how they've found that's working in their life. And and when you have those kinds of conversations where you're inviting your child to make their own choices, to make their decision about what they're going to believe, why they're going to believe it, how they're going to convert it into action, the child then owns that process and owns those beliefs and practices. And we found that parents who do that have a much, much higher success rate. But when you have that mindset of that's how I'm going to approach it, it's not as pedantic as it is relational, then you have a much better outcome. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Barna, for writing this fabulous book, Raising Spiritual Champions. And I like to add moms and dads, please start when they're young. Don't wait. Thank you, Dr. Barna, for being on the show. Thank you again, Leanne. And this is how we all work together to raise strong Christian kids. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.